Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hey, hello. What's happening, Derek? Oh, not much, not much. It's just I was just just before the show. We were just talking. It's uh, it's been a very astronomically significant month so far. Astronomically. Astronomically yes. significant. Significant. I yeah, there's been a lot of things happening. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's things that are going to happen still. Yes. And and that's why we're mentioning it. We're not just going to tease you and say, hey, guess what you missed? There's still something coming up. There were some things and you missed it. Next subject, please. <laughs> uh, what did we have? We had the Aurora Borealis. So, yes. So, it was a very large CME event, uh, coronal mass ejection. It, uh, and so, they were t- saying that uh, as far south as like Michigan and, and New York State and stuff, they were going to have Aurora Borealis. Unfortunately, I didn't see it because, well, here we had a lot of cloud cover. Mm-hmm. But it was—it's—it was, it was a shame. Like it was—I actually thought because uh, I, the the sunset that the night that I knew about it, the clouds were underlit to the west and prevailing winds, cloud moves from the west uh, to northeast. And so I thought, oh, there's a hole in the clouds coming. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. But yeah. now it rained and more clouds moved in and. So I'm sure they were there. They're just on the other side of the clouds. That's like eight of the last 10 full moons yeah. here been covered by clouds. Yeah. We've missed out it's of like, eight of the last on. 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the other thing was, so I thought it was Perseus, but you looked it up. It was the Geminids meteor shower was, yep. has just happened. So this is, I can't remember the name of the, the comet, but something passed through. And so every year the earth passes through the tail of this comet that well, it was like hundred years ago or something. And, uh, so that was, that was, uh, I was camping, we and the family were camping on the weekend and, uh, we saw a few, few, uh, few meteors, few shooting stars type thing. But it was wasn't the uh, they said that the, it's supposed to be peaking at eighty to one hundred and twenty an hour. We didn't see that. No, you never do. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing the Trent Severn this year, um, it was per, the Perseids. Yes, at that and time, then, and they said the exact same thing. Yeah. So I'm up at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I can see stars beyond belief. There was like no light. Pollution, oh, nice. And I'm looking up there. I saw twelve. Huh. And it's like, no, you guys said there was going to be like hundreds. Somebody's lying. Yeah. <laughs> I think they just do that to see you. Let's, let's get all those idiots back out there. <laughs> and we had heard about the eclipse of the moon, lunar eclipse. There was eclipse, a lunar eclipse. But it was South America. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a, in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what, December 14th. That was a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was, yeah, just in the Southern Hemisphere. So anybody in South America and a- over to Africa would have been able to. Yeah. Well, South Africa, right at the t- It looks like it just ended there. That that was the mm-hmm. extent of the range to the West uh, or East, sorry. But um, what's still coming is yes. it's a, it's a, what do they call it? Planetary conjunction. The Great Conjunction. So they're saying that this conjunction like the last time it happened was a couple hundred years ago, but it was so close in view of the sun that it was, the sun blotted it out. You couldn't see it. So the last time it was in full view at night would have been over 800 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so now it's happening again. It's going to be December 21st. And I 
between 6 and 7 p.m. is where the, the peak, the closest approach to the two planets. What is it? Uh, Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter and Saturn. So they're saying because of the two, like you can see the planets anyways, but now that they're combined, it's a larger light mass. So it's, um, they're calling it the Star of Bethlehem or something because of Christmas. But, but anyways, it's a, it's a planetary conjunction. And uh, so it should be, that should be pretty cool to see. Well, just to get everybody's religious pennies in a knot. (laughs) 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 Yes, they're saying, they're calling it the the Star of Bethlehem. Yeah. But it's on the 21st, which is actually... uh, Ah, pagan. (laughs) A pagan holiday. It's it's Yule and the winter solstice. Yes. So... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fight amongst yourselves. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the 21st, that's going to be definitely... Hopefully it's, you know, I mean... Cosmic events like that is pretty cool to see. It is pretty like cool. Like they're so rare that it's it's uh, it's neat to see them. Like even when uh, I, I I even get excited when you hear about uh, like some of these closest approaches of the moon and stuff because yeah. the moon's in an elliptical orbit. Like sometimes the the full moon is like huge. Yeah. And you see uh, like uh, photo comparisons of like uh, well, the furthest uh, uh, apogee of the the moon uh, full moon and the nearest apogee and like they're you know, they're significant changes in size in the moon, right? Yeah. So it's it's really neat to see that kind of thing. It's like, hey, the moon hasn't been this close in like 400 years or something, right? That moon hasn't been up since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, stuff like that is, is, is interesting, significant. Yeah. And you can see, so even like in a time where we're inundated by technology and, and life and everything that's going on and and uh, can imagine back in the day when it was just you, your little hovel in the desert and stuff like that and it's like you see all you have to do in your whole life is look at the sky and look at the stars and try to gauge the weather and the seasons and when crops going to be so all these uh all these things were you didn't know was coming but you see it's like what's going on well you think about the explorers and all that yeah. i mean when they were taking their canoes across north america yeah. and stuff like that there was no towns. There was no light pollution. Yeah. Navigating by the stars. Know? So you could navigate by the mm-hmm. stars and everything, right? Get your astrolab out. Yeah. And, and all that sort of thing. And yeah, you'd see so many. I mean, when you, I mean, you think about the farther north you go, like we're way up northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, on these backcountry lakes there and there's nothing around for hundreds of miles. And yeah, you exactly, look Exactly, right? Yeah. You, yeah, you can see everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's just fascinating. Yeah. And now when you go places like when, uh, when I was up in Tomogamy recently, we were, uh, we were looking up at the stars and it was nice and clear and, and it was like fantastic, but there was like at least three significant points on various horizons where you just saw this big blot of light. Yeah. It's like, oh, what city's yeah. that? <laughs> well, that's Tomogamy over there. That's yeah. Sudbury over there. Yeah. I think that's North <laughs> Bay over that exactly, way. Exactly. Right? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, light pollution. Gotta yeah. love it. <laughs> Gotta love it. But yeah, I mean, now though, you get to look up in the stars and, you know, you'll see, oh, there goes the whatever satellite and there goes the space yeah. station and yeah. and that sort of thing, which is, which is pretty That cool. is so cool. Like, and you, you look up and it's like, was that a shooting star? No, I think that's the ISS. Yeah. And it's well, fast. You, and you can buy the apps or you can download the apps. You don't have to buy them. Yeah. And it, it shows you all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right? You can track them and you can pick them yeah. out on the phone. I remember like doing this uh, like before smartphones and it'd be, well, I know that's some sort of iridium satellite or something. You didn't have a smartphone to look it up, but you kind of knew mm-hmm. by the brightness 
brightness and the degree of brightness what it was, right? So certain, like the Iridium satellites were known to be very bright. The ISS is known to be very bright in the sky and stuff like that, right? So there's, uh, it's it's kind of cool. It's really cool. Yeah. So, well, hopefully it all works out and we can uh, see a few more things anyway. Speaking of satellites, have you heard about uh, Elon Musk's plan to give the planet uh, internet? What planet? Us, our planet. We already have internet. But he's going to do satellite internet. It will be basically almost free for everybody. It's a very ambitious plan. I don't know how it's Mm going to work. I don't know what orbit they're going to use, but they're talking 48,000 satellites. (laughs) Right? So so to get full coverage of the planet... His, his idea is to launch all these micro satellites into Earth orbit. And I'm thinking, man, is there still room up there for something like this? Well, there'll be room for that, but there won't be room for anything to get through <laughs> without taking out. I know, right? And what happens if your internet goes down? Oh, we'll just send somebody up to fix it. <laughs> well, well, he's see, already got that car, so maybe there's somebody in that car. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> they just drive around. That was an internet tech that he launched. <laughs> Yeah, your next technician will be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I read this story, it's like, what? Yeah, it's just crazy. It's getting too much. It's <laughs> enough garbage up and around, floating around. Well, all it takes is, and I can't remember what, uh, I can't remember. So it was uh, George Clooney and they were up in space and there was this, the debris field. Hit oh, wasn't that the gravity movie or whatever? I think, can't remember what it was. But yeah, so it was, uh, it also took is like, it's like like a cascading failure, right? Mm-hmm. So two satellites hit, and then all that debris is sh- racing around the planet at like fourteen to twenty thousand kilometers an hour, and it starts the debris cloud. The more satellites it hits, the bigger the debris cloud gets, and it's just this massive crap cloud. Yeah. Of, and you, you won't be able to put some, anything into space for like a hundred years. Well, when you start looking at this, the the science behind even docking with the space station. Right. The speeds that they're going. I mean, you're thinking, oh yeah, it's really slow. Here we go. We're going to beep, beep, beep. Oh, oh, we latched. But when actuality. They're whizzing at like 20,000. I mean, if you're watching that thing go across overhead, (laughs) you're like, okay, well they're approaching. They're going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's. uh, I remember trying to get a picture of it. It was the last shuttle docking with a space station. And they were passing over, like, so in Bowenville, they're saying that you, I was reading and you could see it. And so it was like in the evening, it was still light out. So the sky was clear and I saw both of them whiz across the sky. And all I, 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 I had a digital SLR camera. I took a picture of it, but I freehanded it. So I have these, these two, uh, these two squiggles, like two long white worms that on the screen. Yeah. It's like, good job, Derek. Good job, buddy. <laughs> I actually spoke to the, uh, uh, International Space Station, Ham Radio. They had a oh, contest yeah. the one time. Oh. So you just quickly call your call sign, because I've got my Ham Radio yeah. license and all that, right? Yeah. As you can tell by all the radio gear behind me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they get your call sign, your name, and then they send you a, it's called a QSL card. It's basically a postcard. Yeah. With all the information when you talk to them, the whole meal deal, which cool. is pretty cool. Well, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. My dad didn't get one. <laughs> <laughs> that's really neat. Yeah. My dad got me into that because, I mean, he was radio radar technician yeah. in the forces, right? Mm-hmm. So he sort of just got into that and I inherit some of his older gear yeah. and stuff like that. You still that. have the card? Yeah. Somewhere around here. It's that's in the big pile of 
yeah stuff of radio crap yeah <laughs> that's pretty cool yeah I'll, have to, I'll, I'll dig it out for you at some point and mm-hmm. show it to you anyway so let's get a little bit closer to the water now shall we <laughs> <laughs> well you know the astronomical stuff i well, brought that up because it is significant because that's what everybody does when you're out yeah. camping like you lay on a rock on the beat on the shore somewheres and while you're camping oh, and you're looking up yeah. at the sky yeah so we're going to go from spaceships <laughs> to fighter planes oh yes in this next one okay i have determined <laughs> that mid-december is my eureka moment no what's the other word i'm looking not eureka moment my aha moments yeah um every year i seem to get one there it's my magical time of year <laughs> when things that should be obvious to everybody apparently but me jumps out and says hey did you did know you know? and i'm like what <laughs> So, for example, I've, I've actually just recently put this on my Facebook page too. There was, always wondered, wonder what ever happened to the International House of Pancakes. And I think, ah, oh, it must just be a U.S. thing. And we go to, I used to go to Niagara Falls all the time and pass IHOP, just close to Clifton Hill where yeah. all the, the, the attractions are, is an IHOP. So we're going down there one day and I just happened to look up at the IHOP sign. Oh my God. That's what IHOP means. IHOP stands for <laughs> International House of Pancakes. And I, did you guys know? And they're all looking at me like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I don't know why, but there's just certain things. <laughs> <laughs> you know those those things you see people post all over the time? I was today years old yes, when I okay, figured yeah, it out, yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> that was, yeah. So I was in my mid-40s when I figured out. <laughs> and I'm not too embarrassed to say it. Yay, you know what? I never claimed to be the sharpest tool in the shed. <laughs> I never said that I was the guy with a full picnic basket because some days I'm one sandwich short of a picnic. <laughs> So, being December, I'm figuring, well, there's got to be something I don't know. Yeah. And... So, what was the trigger for this one? What was the trigger moment? I was looking at airplanes, mm-hmm. fighter planes, hence we're going from from space yeah. to airplanes, and specifically the Hellcat. Okay. The Northrop Grumman <laughs> yeah. Hellcat. <laughs> so I was doing a little bit of research and I started. That's that's quite a coincidence. That's quite the coincidence. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> I knew. <laughs> Why did this never occur to me yeah. Yeah. before now? <laughs> I've been on this lovely blue ball since 1968. <laughs> and it took me until 2020 to figure out. Grumman, the airplane company, started building Grumman the canoes. Yes. <laughs> how did I not know this? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I don't know how you didn't know this. <laughs> I don't know. Like I say, not the sharpest tool in the shed someday. <laughs> so I started researching a little bit about Grumman the canoes. So we're going to do a little bit of a little history thing because I bet you a lot of people know about the Grumman Canoes. Yes. But they probably don't know a whole lot about the company, the background and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So 
Today, people, listen up. You're getting an education because <laughs> I got one, so I'm giving it to you guys. <laughs> I got to be educated. So does everybody. Do they list the planes that you used to build? The Hellcat, the Tiger Cat, and the Bear Cat. Yeah, there we go. I don't know what it was with about cats, but, but apparently it was World War Two era. World War Two cat uh, cats. World War Two cats. Yeah. They built World War Two cats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, planes. Yeah, the Hellcat, the Tiger Cat, the Bear Cat. So, the vice president William Hoffman was a canoe tripper of Grumman Corp. Uh, he was portaging a heavy wooden canvas canoe in the Adirondacks in 1944, and he wondered if the activity might be easier if the vessel were made of aluminum. Because, of course, they were building aircraft made with aluminum yeah. and stuff, right? So it was like, well, I wonder if I made one of these out of aluminum. So when World War II was drawing to an end, uh, he knew that the defense contractors would be looking to convert their factories for peacetime production, and he figured Grumman could make a fighter sturdier um, or sorry, make uh, lighter, sturdier aluminum models with the same metalworking expertise it used to make their warplanes. Yep. Right? He figured that's something we could do. So he talked to the company head Leroy Grumman and Jake uh, Swerble, and they liked the idea. Because at this point, you know, they're all thinking, well, what are we going to do now? The war is... We've got these factories that are all tooled yeah. up. We're not going to make planes anymore. We need to we need to keep the companies rolling or we're going to fold up. And keep the employees yeah. and stuff like that. So they designed a 17-foot-long prototype and started building them in the employees' bowling alley in Bethpage, New York. They tested the boat down in the Allagash River in Maine, and the Grumman canoe was launched. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, the model was dis displayed in the window of Abercrombie, Abercrombie and Fitch in Manhattan in October 1945, and Leroy Grumman announced that the company had invented a 13-foot, 38-pound model. I don't think I've ever seen that. No, but it was out there. And I, they were saying in one of these articles, they were saying that uh, it was you know, advertisements in the day. They were less than politically correct. They're saying even a woman can carry this canoe. Yes. And it was lighter than Hiawatha's canoe, which back in the day that it was a birch bark canoe. Yeah. Was politically. Yeah. No one cared. But yeah. today you wouldn't, you wouldn't be putting that on your advertising. Yeah. Uh, it also, they also said that it was, uh, f it would be not prone to termites and. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because when you store and porcupines. your. porcupines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Porcupines, porcupines and, were known to be chewing on canoes. Yeah. So when you stored them, you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, Grumman geared up for mass production. They had one of their engineers start designing larger canoes of 15, 17, and 19 feet. So with production, uh, instructions to keep quiet about the project, he was sent to work alone in a remote office in a hangar in Bethpage Plant 2. So, because, you know, they had all their, where they were making all their different planes and parts and stuff. Over the course of about a month, he had laid out paper on top of long pieces of thin aluminum to draw hull lines. And from his designs, hardwood molds would be created over which sheets of aluminum would be stretched on presses to make each half of the canoe. So they're moving pretty fast on yeah. getting this going. There was no, 
you know, war is over. We're not making planes anymore. So let's we got to go. Get yeah, this going, yeah. We're in the final days of the war where the things are done. Yeah. Uh, Peter Patter, let's get at her. So part of the challenge was to engineer smooth lines that would prevent the aluminum from wrinkling during pressing. And eventually the halves could be held together with rivets and extrusions at the seams, as well as ribs, seats, uh, reaching from side to side. So we decided to designate, uh, Leroy Grumman, 20,000 square foot area of the aircraft plant for the manufacture of aluminum canoes. And the model line expanded include 13 foot, 15 foot, 17 foot, 18 foot, 19 foot, and 20 foot canoes. Both standard and lightweight So this is thicknesses. one thing I didn't know about. I didn't know you could have a standard and a lightweight. So yeah. it's basically just a thinner aluminum get get you lightweight, but it would be more prone to like denting and stuff like that. But still, it's like... I would like, think so. But if you were, for for the average person, like if, if you had a nice lightweight aluminum canoe with a thinner aluminum, you cared for it? Well, that's what I'm wondering if that 13 foot model was the thinner, mm. right? And maybe that was just for recreational. And then you get the thicker ones for more backcountry, yeah. heavy duty rapids and yeah, like you know and stuff. You know, want some of these flying fishing places and stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. Well, and they were with the with the kids' camps and stuff like yeah. that, right? Yeah, they they're gonna beat the crap out of the canoes and make you get a nice tough aluminum canoe. Yeah. Grumman canoes, known for the booming sound they make when hitting a rock or a dock, (laughs) (laughs) became fixtures at summer camps and rental sites on rivers and lakes. They were so popular that Grumman built a separate boat manufacturing plant in Marathon, 40 miles south of Syracuse, to open up space in Bethpage for Korean War aircraft production in 1952. Forgot about the Korean War, right? Mm Uh, it was said you could put the wife, the kids, the kitchen sink, and the thing ran and but a kitchen thing. Oh man, <laughs> kitchen sink kitchen in the thing. Kitchen sink in the thing <laughs> and ram it into rocks. Uh, public bought thousands, and 1975 brochure cited sales of more than 300,000 Grumman canoes in 30 years. Hmm. It's like a, a huge amount. It's a Demi- lot of aluminum, eh? Yeah. Uh, demand peaked in 1974 with a sales of 33,000, propelled by the 1972 movie Deliverance. Deliverance. <laughs> and concerns about fuel consumption during the mid 70s ah, energy yes. crisis. So, yeah, everybody was worried about spending money on gas. We're what not going to we- go driving vacation. We're going to go canoeing vacation. Mm-hmm. Over the years, Grumman expanded into several types of aluminum vessels, including uh, square backed canoes and even found a way to rig its canoes for sailing. They also got into like the John boats and the the pontoon boats and all that sort of stuff too, right? Uh, The aluminum canoe sales eventually dropped about 4,000 a year as plastic and fiberglass models became available. So plastic and fiberglass fiberglass canoes killed Mm -hmm. the aluminum canoe industry. Grumman's boat division was sold in 1990 to Outboard Marine Corps, and then in July 1996, OMC uh, produced its last Grumman brand canoe. So Grumman canoes from 44 to 96. Mm-hmm. On September 4th, so yeah, so they were saying we're not going to do it anymore. They put forth saying to to some people, previous employer employees, and I said. We'll sell it all to you if you want it. So September 4th, 1996, this was what, like 
three, four months later. Yeah. Four former Grumman and OMC employees and an upstate investor formed Marathon Boat Group, purchased all assets, inventories, and tooling, and began pressing out canoes again at the old Grumman plant in Marathon, New York. Marathon canoes were identical to the Grumman canoes except for the decal. And that point sticks in because somebody on one of the Facebook groups a few months back Mm -hmm. has an aluminum canoe. But it's not a Grumman. They say it looks like a Grumman, but it's got this this weird weird decal on it. I wish I could, I wish I could find that post. Um, but yeah, they didn't know what the, what the, what the decal was. So the marathon boat group offered 13 marathon canoe models, 13 different 13. models. That's yeah. a lot. In the summer of 2000, a licensing agreement was reached between Northrop Grumman and marathon boat group. The name Grumman was once again oh, back on they the canoes. Bought the name back. Yes. If you want to check out, now I went and checked to see, you know, cause people say, can you still buy one? Right. Mm-hmm. Apparently you can. Yeah. If you go to marathonboat.com, do not go to marathon-boats.com. That's a different yacht making company oh. in the Philippines. Okay. Marathonboat.com. All one word. So they're Grumman again, but they're still called the Marathon Boat Company. Company. Yeah. The Marathon Boat Company is the one that makes the Grumman yeah. canoe. Um, when I went to dealers... I looked up dealers. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of Canadian dealers as well. And they even offer them in colors now. Colored aluminum? You can get a, a red one. I think it's just painted aluminum, right? Yeah. Uh, so if you get a good whack, it's either going to dent or chip. I'm not <laughs> sure which. Uh, but yeah, you can get uh, like green ones, blue ones, red ones, silver Unless they ones. they anodize it. Yellow ones. Yeah. Like cook it on. Maybe. Hmm. Uh but when you go to order, I think one was like, I think I saw one for three grand, um, but it's like zero in stock. Everywhere, everywhere I was looking, they were all zero in stock, but they're still making them. Um, I have seen, I don't know that I actually know anybody that owns one. I've seen them as rentals. Uh, I've come across people uh, on canoe trips and you can hear them coming a mile away, especially when people hit the side of the yes. boat with the, with the paddles. One thing that always surprised me in them is, uh, if you run up on a rock, it's like putting the brakes on. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there like... is no sliding. It's just stopping. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you weld it to the, uh, to the rock. <laughs> but yeah, they absolutely take a beating, an absolute beating. And I think that is the big reason for them being at summer camps and stuff. Because you got a bunch of kids out there, right? And that's what they're going to do is they're just going to beat the crap out of them. So that's what I learned about this December. Well, what I learned, because I knew that, I knew the history of Grumman and, and Northrop Grumman, but what I didn't know is that they still make and sell them. Yes. So I'm looking at the website now. These are... Uh, Nice looking boats. Well, I mean, they look like regular, like they always have. Yeah. They just look shinier, newer. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, you see the colors on there? Yeah. So one of the things, it's not in the article I read online, they were saying that uh, sometime around the, se- so they started building in 45. Mm-hmm. Sometime around the 70s, 
they built the flotation pockets at the bow and stern. Oh, uh, so the I'm 70s thinking or the 60s. <laughs> but anyways, for yeah. for a decade or more, two decades, they if you if you took on water, that sucker's going down. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be able to make it float better, right? <laughs> yeah. In case uh, you know you did capsize yeah, exactly. or anything like that. So what are what are the colors they got there? Um, hunter green. Insignia blue, burgundy, olive drab, and black. All the good colors. Or you, you go with want, just luminous okay. silver. So if you're out in the middle of summer and it is baking hot. Not a black one. <laughs> you want that black canoe? <laughs> yeah. Because I am not portaging well, that puppy. The interiors are still the silver, but uh, it would only really get hot if you over- overturned on your campsite type thing, right? Well, night. the sides would get hot yeah, that are yeah. above the water line. Bernie, Bernie, it's, and then, it's hot, hot, yeah, hot, hot. <laughs> then when you go to portage, but that would be an incentive for portaging fast. <laughs> it burns, it burns, it burns. <laughs> it burns. Filthy <laughs> 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 hobbits. Oh, they've got some uh, different designs too with uh, the flat low back pro- and, low profile hulls and yeah, like, these are. And I like the uh, I like the Grumman logo because it has that like a airplane flying off on the on the G. Mm-hmm. So huh. yes, I like this. Yeah, now go buy one. Yeah, they, I, there are no prices here. No, I like I say I went to a dealer. I just put uh, where to buy one. Uh, where can I buy a Grumman? And there was a couple. There's one out west in Abbotsford, BC. Oh yeah, and I think the other one I saw was Manitoba. But they're expensive, three grand? Well, it was like three grand. Hmm. But how much are you paying for a Kevlar yeah. canoe? You're paying five. To say fully, the weights? You know. Uh, anywhere from 58 to 89 huh. pounds. Well, that's not too bad. No, no. I got to think the 13 footer is, is the 58. Mm-hmm. But they don't mention anything about the ones now being in two different gauges, thick or thin. Yeah, they only give one gauge, the 0. 0.05. Mm-hmm. So... So now you know about Grumman Canoes. Now you know the rest of the now story. you know the rest of the story. <laughs> Tune in next December when Sean figures something else out. <laughs> what will it be? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting is uh, like this here. So an aircraft manufacturer just kind of subdivided and had, well, how do we make, keep making money now that we're not going to be making as many planes? Mm-hmm. So you, th- that kind of thing. So it, there's, there's a litany of, of items that you come across all the time where, you know, the Apollo program or, you know, the, whatever um, military manufacturing process is creating some new, like, you know, Velcro is created with the with the Apollo programs. They need some way to attach stuff to the in- interiors, yeah. right? And so there's all this, so many things like uh, special glues and special, uh, you know, alloys. And it's, it's amazing all the stuff that uh, the private industry have gained from governments and NASA and so on developing their own space program and airplanes and aircraft and you know all this stuff is being developed and it does have it's a trickle down thing it it trickle down effect where private industry is like oh that might be interesting to make a canoe out of or Mm -hmm. that might be interesting to whatever right well and the fact that they went that extra way instead of just closing the shop and firing all the employees after the war you know they 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 gave them Different jobs. Yeah, and 60 years is... of canoes. <laughs> so, no, 8D. 
80 years now. 45, 55, yeah, 65, years. 75, <laughs> 85, 95, <laughs> 05, 15, 75 years. Yeah. That's incredible, <laughs> eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot a of aluminum canoes. Yeah. A lot of them are at the bottom of lakes right now, but. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know how many times I've been on some trip, northern trip, river trip, somewheres, and there's, you know, you come along and you do the, the portage around the falls or something, and at the bottom of the falls, there's a Grumman canoe bent around a tree, and... <laughs> Right. You just hammer that out. <laughs> but, but like yeah. I say, you're you're coming down a, a windy river, and yeah. all you can hear is a bong, 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 yeah, bong, because people are paddling and hitting yeah. that side. You Dude, know, it's like a drum. Stop hitting your canoe. Yeah. You're scaring the fish away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, go to marathonboat.com and uh, check them out. There's more information about what they're doing nowadays and. Um, like I say, they, they're into the pontoon boats and the John boats, fishing boats, stuff like that as well. Flat back, uh, canoe, tr- canoes and, and the regular canoes as well. And, uh, yeah. Um, what else? I think that's it for that. Yes. Yes. Well, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back. We're going to talk about a Cliff Jacobson, uh, article I came ah, across. Yes. And well, actually one of the points is pretty pertinent right now because of video that we saw online. Uh, we'll be right back. Hi, this is Dark Sprest. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners. So if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. Uh, so I was Googling some things here, checking about, um, well, how to die on a canoe trip. And I actually found an article, how to die on a canoe trip. You Google so much, you're, they're going to have to start sponsoring us. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Google. Google. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Google, sponsor us some money, would you? Yeah. I should start, start tagging them. Yeah. I should start there just, you go. can we tag Google? And Red Bull too. Start Red Bulling it up. Well, yeah, cause we, we, a lot of the stuff they do, we talk about their, yeah. their, their paddlers and stuff. So. Well, usually when I'm tired, we, uh. I drank my, my monster Your energy monster drink. energy drink. I started hammering that one too. <laughs> Derek's brought to you this week by monster energy drinks. The only thing keeping them up. <laughs> Awake. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Cliff Jacobson, uh, he did an article back in June of 2020 entitled how to die on a canoe trip. And you can find it on his web, website, cliffcanoe.com. Under the blog tab, scroll down, you'll find it. He's got a whole bunch of stuff there. And we'll post the link on our Facebook page as well um, to, to his site in this article. 
And Cliff says, and this is um, pretty much a lot of my experience as well. If you ask people what they fear most about canoeing a wild river where help is an airplane ride away, you'll probably get one of six answers. And he's listed them as fears. The first one is probably the most common. I think so, yeah. Bears. Number one, bears. They're afraid they'll get eaten alive by one or a bear will get their food. Which is, you know, when I'm talking to people saying, hey, why don't you come out on a canoe trip? You'll, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the bears? Slipping on well, a rock. What about them? Slipping on a rock or putting a hatchet to your shin, there's more odds of that happening than, yeah. right? Um, yeah, and that, that's, yeah. What about the bears? No, no, they can get their own ride. <laughs> yeah, we're not taking them. <laughs> I'm not taking them. <laughs> uh, they're already out there. We don't need to bring any bears. So yeah, that's one of the big things is, you know, what, what, what about the bears, especially, especially at night, right? Yes. And I've never been bothered by a bear. Now I have raised concerns this year based on how the back country Yes. Sites have been left. People are abusing the campsites. People with no experience are leaving the sites trash with food laying about. Right. And we're, what we're doing is we're training all the little squirrels and the big bears and all the animals and the raccoons. They're all learning. Ooh, Ooh look humans are a humans source are of food. Yes. So Chris Prouse and Julia and Cedar, Cedar. her son Cedar, yep. just posted a video. They went into... Um, I think it was Joe Lake in Algonquin Park. Yeah. Up through can, so. up through the canoe and into Joe. And they had a big, and he, yeah, I watched it. It's a big bear, a big black bear come and pay them a visit three times. See, I haven't seen the video yet. Yeah. But I, I, I watched the video. It's, uh. I went through the Facebook post and read all the comments, all the trolls and stuff, but, uh, I, I just haven't got around to seeing the video yet. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they had a baby with them, like to me, it'd be, it'd be one thing. And that's my big thing when you're going on a trip is. I'm concentrating on making sure other people that have never been there have a good time yeah. or people I'm with are, are safe or, you know, unexperienced yeah. or safe and that sort of stuff. So when you're an experienced canoe tripper and then you've got an infant, an infant to yeah. worry about as well, that raises things to a complete mm-hmm. other level. Right. And it's, yeah, people are leaving garbage and it attracts the bears. Yep. Now, Algonquin, I find this interesting, they're starting to put some bear hangs. And I didn't know about that. It, yeah, that's 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 more of a recent thing from what I understand. Uh, they hung up their, their barrel and somehow in the middle of the night, because when they woke up in the morning, the barrel was still hanging. It's still up on the line. But it was open and the food was all over the ground. <laughs> so how Yogi got up that's there. That's a pretty skilled bear. It, yeah, he's been practicing a bear. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's becoming an issue where mm-hmm. this fear about bears is going to become more, yeah. more accurate, hmm. you know, but they were doing the, the yelling, the making noise, banging things together and, and stuff. Uh, I know they were, I believe they were preparing some food when he showed up the first time. So oh, of course wow. their barrel was open. Yeah. Right. But they're actively preparing food. Yeah. So yeah. And he was a big, he flipped their canoe. Oh, really? Was that, yeah. It was upside down. He flips it up up and you can see him doing the jaw like the the huffing with his mouth yeah thing uh julie was out there um now i gotta yelling watch at video. him and yeah definitely watch the video uh we should post we'll post a link to that as mm-hmm. well to chris's uh video there um but yeah i mean they were doing what they were supposed to do make a 
tons of noise, make yeah. yourself look big, you know, that sort of thing. But it, it comes down to keeping your campsites clean and yep. people need to, people need to be aware that what sites. you're, yeah. When you leave a site with garbage in, like people are just dumping garbage in the fire pits or, or not really caring what you're doing is you may not be drawing the bears in to you, but you're training the bear that eventually somewhere down the road could be a week, could be a month, could be a year. Mm-hmm. Somebody down the road is going to have a bad experience because of your irresponsibility. Yeah. And yeah, they were, they were, I mean, glad they got through it all right. But, so uh, this bear is very comfortable approaching them apparently, right? Oh, he was had three times. Yeah. Three times. Uh, the next, and all their food was gone. All the baby food was gone. So they had no choice but to come out the second yeah. day. Huh. Uh, and it was pouring rain going in. Oh, it was yeah? supposed to be a light rain. It wasn't a light rain. <laughs> so it's one of those weekends that you yeah. just get back home and you're like, why did I even bother? <laughs> <laughs> uh, fear number two, according to Cliff, um, they fear they will paddle over falls or drown in a rapid. Who thinks they're going to pat? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Again, <laughs> things happen. Not always. It, but they do um, happen. This is, yeah. It, I mean, it happens, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I was say, paddling over River Falls was the first, this year was the first time I've, I, anybody I've, I've known. I've never seen it happen before. Yeah, and... <laughs> yeah. Um, so. We lost, well, tec- we thought we lost him. <laughs> technically, he wasn't. Paddling at no, that he point. No, so. he swam over the falls. So he swam over the falls, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, you know what? You, you got to use your, your brain. You got to know where the accidents are going to happen. Yes. Th- That's why they're yeah. called accidents. Yeah, things happen. But in all the years, I, I've been going almost 30 years now. I've never I've never paddled her over a falls mm-hmm. and I've never drowned in a rapid. As far as I know, I haven't drowned in a rapid. <laughs> Because if I have, this is getting awkward really fast. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, that'll just get back to the zombie apocalypse co- uh, comments. Uh, I was on a Facebook chat this weekend. I'm pantsing the zombies. <laughs> oh, right. They'll trip. Exactly. Why haven't That's they thought of that? In the Walking Dead. That just is so brilliant. Why run up behind, grab, pull their pants down. Yeah. They trip because they're not going to know to pull them they back can't up. Get, yeah, they're stuck. Yeah. You want to find me? Just look for the half-naked zombies. <laughs> Follow the trail. That's brilliant. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm But not... it means you got to get up close and personal with the... Eh. <laughs> Extreme zombie. <laughs> um, number three, getting lost. Many people canoe the same route every season, claiming it's because... Fishing and campsites are great. Truth is, they probably don't know how to navigate and fear leaving the beaten path. So Which that's, is true for a lot of people. They get comfortable. Yeah. For me, it's the adventures. Like, I'm, I'm kind of want to get lost. Well, that's what Not you Not literally lost, but. Why don't you just get lost? <laughs> no. I mean, and I think that's why a lot of people go to places like Algonquin so much. It's familiar. It's their, it, it's, it's that safe place. They're yeah, very Everything's familiar. marked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You're not, yeah. you're not, uh, I, I've gone on quite a few trips with, uh, a group of guys at work and, and we would literally be like searching for a portage. Like mm-hmm. we were trying to not the, I can never say the word properly. Nostawagan is the old, the old native roots up North. Yep. 
And uh, so we were trying to find an old route and uh, we did a lot of bushwhacking, like pulling the canoe between trees and bushes. And one guy's pushing, one guy's pulling us like <laughs> the water's over there somewhere. We got to get that way. Yeah. So it was, uh, but it was fun. We were, we, we did have our phones with GPS. So we knew we weren't going to get lost, but it was, we were, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. You got, you got to branch out and push your limits. If, if that's yeah if that's what's keeping you from going is thinking you're going to get lost pick up some new skills yeah go with go with experienced people and pick up their, exactly pick up those skills right yeah and uh, you one of the one, a key skill that is that i have that i learned when i was in the military is uh is map and compass it's mm-hmm. you know you're triangulate three points so there's a mountain peak there's a a fire tower and there's another mountain peak triangulate there's the degrees there's the point there's this is where i am yeah right i'll look at a map sometimes and i want to go check something out and then i'll go down that way and oh that was the wrong way <laughs> just because i wanted to go check it out <laughs> 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 oh we're supposed to go up over that way sorry man <laughs> no i just wanted to check out down here and you guys didn't want to go <laughs> so i pretended to get i pretended lost. to get lost <laughs> that's brilliant um, see, you're just picking up tips after tips after tips tonight, buddy. <laughs> Number four, some fear that bugs will drive them mad. I have seen a couple people yeah. go absolutely bonkers. And that's why I always bring my, my bug jacket. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like yeah. I say, I've had it for years and I've only worn it once. I've saw pictures of, uh, Mark Rubino coming back. It was a trip you guys did and he posted pictures afterwards and he had welts and bites, it was like, oh, yeah. poor Mark. It must have been really bad. So I would think that he might have gone mad on that trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah. Uh, like there's some people, when, when I lived up north and stuff, like they went after me like crazy. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I don't know if they just don't go after me anymore or or as much, or I've just learned to ignore it. Your blood is soured to them. Yeah, apparently. Uh, we've had enough this, of him. This guy, <laughs> this guy tastes bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy tastes old. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't notice this as much. I, I mean, they still bug me, but not to the point where yeah. I'm just ready to pull what hair I have left out. Yeah, the ones bug the ones that bite you now are the ones that can't understand best before dates. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> this <laughs> guy's <laughs> spoiled. <laughs> Living on the edge. Uh, number five, being struck by lightning. I've almost been hit three times. <laughs> the name's Rod. Lightning Rod. <laughs> uh, that is a big fear of, of people going out in the canoes and on yeah. the water and stuff like that, and thinking I'm going to get hit by lightning. What happens if I get hit by lightning? Hmm. Well, it's that's not something that you can. I don't know. Something. Some things just happen. When I first started taking up canoe tripping, lightning was not one of the things I thought of. Mm-hmm. It was not one of the wor- worries I had. One of the. I mean, I think the the biggest worries I had was swamping, um, like flipping over in the middle of a big lake, mm-hmm. um, and animals coming through the camp. Oh yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Like I knew enough, you know, if something comes through your camp, you know, if it's a bear, you got to try to scare him. If it's a moose, like just sit there and let him go about his business. And you know, like he'll walk through your camp cause he's probably going to the water. He's not coming over to eat your food or anything. Right. Mm-hmm. And depending on what the animals, you know, squirrels and all that, but anything big, you know how to, to, to deal with them. But lightning was never a, Ooh, 
mm-hmm. says weather. I'm canceling my trip because it might be a thunderstorm. Yeah. Personally, I I mean, if you have ever experienced a lightning storm on the on the prairies, you, <laughs> in my opinion, get to really enjoy lightning storms. Yeah. Like just watching lightning storms coming across Sheet the prairies is, and yeah, is yeah. phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And like I say, I've almost been hit three times, but I, I still go out there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like lightning doesn't isn't one of the things that's going to stop me from going, but apparently something that a lot does, of people think yeah. about. Yeah. Apparently I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> uh, number six, this is number six already. Capsizing in a rapid and wrapping your canoe or damaging it beyond repair. So you're stranded out there somewhere. And again, this is one of the, well, he says, when the nearest help is an airplane ride away, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? So, yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, th- think of the Northern scavengers. So they're off in the middle of Labrador, nowhere yeah. in Labrador and they had an incident in a set of rapids that they couldn't scout. And at that point in the time they were scouting less and less often. They were just saying, oh, we should be able to make it through. It doesn't look too bad from the top type thing. They weren't really scouting it. Anyways, they, they, uh, wrapped the canoe around a rock and it took them hours to get it off the rock. And fortunately they were able to, it popped back up into shape. Mm-hmm. but it had folded and, and in the video you can see that it's like filling and pushing against the rock. All the gear pumps out and washes downstream. And so where they were, like there's there's four guys, two canoes. You can't continue on. No. And, and we had the same incident when uh, when Martin went over the falls. It was, uh, well, Martin was really, he was, he was injured, plus he was like, kind of traumatized he was in shock yeah and so it's like well we're not going to make him get in the canoe but then if we did make we were <laughs> we were actually trying to figure out plans it's like well we could uh we could all paddle we could all be in the boat and every time we come to a set of rapids we throw all of the gear overboard let it float down the rapids and we paddle down and then we'll gather it all up at the bottom of the rapids <laughs> and it's like at the end it's like no it's we, we have to walk. So two people have to walk. People are going to walk. Yeah. Okay. You took uh, So Martin, Martin Scott walked, they took the dog with them and then we scouted the river looking for gear and canoe and paddles. And, yeah. and so, but yeah, it was like, why are we making this plan? This is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've got to run through everything. Yeah. From the absolutely absurd. Yes. To the, the most detailed and safety conscious. Yes. I mean, you go from both ends of the spectrum when something happens, Yeah, you know. Fortunately for us on the Black River, the river, there's a road, an access road that runs right alongside the river. Mm -hmm. And so it's in, well, at the, uh, at the campsite where we all stopped and lit a fire to warm up and to wait for the outfitter to come pick us up, it was like 100, 150 meters from the road. So it was just, we... It was just a quick walk. We could hear cars on the road. Yeah. So we were fortunate for that because if we were up in, up north somewhere, well, we would have done, I think, I know I would have done You would have taken the extra effort to find a, the, that extra canoe. Yes. And so yeah. when we were trying to find Martin, we saw the canoe floating down river and I was about to jump in to go after the boat. And they said, no, we have to worry about Martin. It's like, yeah, you're right. But if we we're off up north somewhere and that canoe is just as important. You need to get that canoe. Yeah. yeah. 
whether it's uh, whatever is happening to the individual who went over the falls, that is a separate issue than getting gear back and getting paddles back. Yeah. Because if you, you can't put four people in a canoe and trying to make it out of the back country. Not right? four adults. No, no. No. So it, it, uh, in hindsight, I, I didn't go, I should have gone after that canoe in hindsight, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a lesson learned. It's something I know a little bit better now. Yeah. Well, and like, that's exactly it. You know, um, Cliff finishes this off by saying these fears are rational, but none of the events are likely to happen. So if you take these fears, you educate yourself. Yeah on how to get through them if one of these things happen. And that's exactly what you have to do is take what happened on your, on your trip mm-hmm. with Martin and the canoe and the gear and you rationalize how, the to, how and, to get out yeah. and you figure for next, if this happens next time, mm-hmm. because if you're with a different group of people next time, you can say, listen, this happened before, this is what we yeah. need to do. And for our situation, it was like, well, there's three of us looking for Martin. Well, two people could look for Martin. Yeah. Right. And somebody should try and recover some gear. So yeah. there's only so many people to throw a rope to somebody that, you, you know what I mean? Like somebody needs to be gathering gear. Yeah. Especially if you're isolated and it's your, it's your only chance of paddling out. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, like you say, if you're in Labrador or something like that, or yeah. even up in the middle of Tomogamy. Got to save that gear. That gear is vitally important. Just as important as saving somebody from the river is gathering the gear so that you can continue yeah. to paddle. Well, a place like, I mean, like a place like Tomogamy. Okay. You know what? You guys. There's a lot of people. Take, around. take, take some, some gear. You guys paddle out and see if you can come back Send with another, some, yeah. with another canoe. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll all paddle it. Yeah. It's we'll sit here and butt. camp for a few days and, yeah. and go get us, go get another canoe or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like you say, with the Northern Scavengers, if you're in the middle of Labrador, <laughs> okay, you guys take two weeks, <laughs> exactly. you paddle out, <laughs> and then yeah. come back. Yeah, that's a totally we'll different. Totally paddle different. out again. They were so lucky that they were able to pop that canoe back into shape yeah. and use it because they they were still three weeks. No, they're still two weeks from the finish of the trip. They were deep in Labrador. They were only halfway through. It was a 33 day trip, I think. Anyways. Yeah. If they hadn't have been able to pop that canoe back into shape and use it, that was a trip ending event. Yeah. They would have had to call and get extracted by float plane. Or have the float plane drop off another canoe. Yes. Or that. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty elaborate. You're counting on somebody else picking up a canoe and bringing it to you and dropping it. And it's easier just to get retracted. Yeah. Yeah. So. Get me out of here. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's take another break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about six locations to paddle underground. (laughs) So This is just a continuation of last week's (laughs) because that was interesting. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Sean Rowley and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. 
Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So last week I was talking about, uh, what was it, 10 interesting places to paddle. Yeah, unique and interesting. Yeah, things with unique or interesting yeah. aspects to the paddle. And there's one I think was off Ireland, was, was a cave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a tunnel underneath an yeah. island. Yeah. yeah, a tunnel. And there was another one that, yeah, paddle, well, we, we talked about this one and we're going to talk about it again in Mexico. Uh, underground paddling in caves and stuff like that. So I started Googling, how many places are there? Is there something close to us mm-hmm. that maybe we can go check out and stuff? And I, I picked out six of them. So we're just going to go over there. We're not going to go into too much detail with these, but um, pretty cool though. Red River Gorge in Kentucky. This is just southeast of Lexington, Kentucky. You can kayak inside a 100-year-old flooded limestone quarry. The guide leads you into the darkness of the Gorge Grotto through the mountainside for a full hour-long adventure under the Earth's surface. Now, there's a bunch of these that are have guides, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because... Uh, well, safety and you don't want to get lost. And Have you ever been in one of these big, massive cavern tours where you walk, go down an elevator, you walk through? Never been in one, but I've seen videos. We did one in South Dakota, Jewel Cavern. I think yeah. it's in South Dakota. And when you get these massive cavern, like you're, you're like narrow spots and regular you know, size of a hallway, width and height mm-hmm. and stuff. And you're seeing all the funky formations. And then you go on this big platform and it's like 50 feet above you to each side of you. You're in this massive room. Yeah. And they turn all the lights off and the echoes and the drips. And, and the complete darkness. Just so cool. Huh. But you got the guides telling you, well, this is what this is. This is what this is. And here's what, all that sort of thing, which is really cool with some of these. So they have a guide that takes you uh, down on this hour-long adventure under the Earth's surface. So you paddle your way through the grotto in in your own kayak as your guide leads you the way while explaining the history of the cavern, how it came to be flooded. Clear water lets you see fish when you shine your light straight down, including newly relocated rainbow trout. Cool. Which brings me to the question, can I bring my fishing rod? <laughs> can I fish in the That's cave? probably a no. So one thing that I'm curious about this is uh, normally limestone quarries are, are like open pit mines type thing. Yeah, no, this is so this must have been, underground. Uh, must have been a, uh, a layer of, of, of limestone that was under a layer of rock. Yeah, if you see the pictures of this thing, it's pretty like square shaped. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool looking. And the guides will let you turn your headlamps off too. So yeah. you get that pure dark. The effect of the darkness. Yeah. Because if you've ever sat in a place like that in pure dark. It's scary. And the only thing is your is your hearing. Yeah. The only sense you have is your hearing. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Or those, uh, there was a movie and they get in those water tubs with the, they're all, it's like a, a, a chamber. Yeah. And there's water, you lay in water. And it dulls all your oh, senses. Oh, yeah. Flotation chamber thing. It's a sensory, yeah. sensory deprivation chamber yeah. type thing. Yeah. And it's supposed to uh, 
it, it's supposed to affect your brain, your mind. It's like, so some people can't handle it and some people find it very relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I used to do that in the tub. It's like a spa type thing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. But that's like the same can, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're, you, you still have your hearing. Yeah. Um, and smell and stuff like yeah. that. But, but the, no sight. Mm-hmm. Everything's just black and that's pretty cool. Uh, the second one, again, we talked last week saying, and we found, I was, I was finding that Slovenia, Croatia, stuff like that, huge amounts of paddling destinations. Yes. It's surprising. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's like, I didn't really think of Slovenia for this. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's huge. Well, Bled, I presume that's how it's it's uh, pronounced, Bled, Slovenia. Experience the unique adventure of kayaking through an underground mine in this eight-hour adventure from Bled. Now, don't let that think you're paddling for eight hours underground. Uh, explore the abandoned mine in complete darkness with only the illumination of headlights to light your way. Kayak equipment is provided. So four hours getting to the mine and back. So two hours there, two hours back. Yeah. 15 minutes you descend via an old mine train car <laughs> and then 15 minutes back up. Yeah. So there's four and a half. Four and a half. Then you're going to have the talk and get ready for another half hour. So there's five, uh, yeah. five hours gone. That leaves you three hours of paddling underground. This is like a work day. This is an all day adventure. This, it is an all day adventure. But but like, like I say, three hours paddling mm-hmm. underground in these abandoned mines. Yeah. That's cool. So, Seeing all the... So now I'm thinking, adding something to this list, so how to die in a canoe trip, is uh, earthquake and rockfall. Yeah, <laughs> could happen. <laughs> uh, the third one we ta- is one of the ones we talked about last week, the Rio Chantelcoatlin in Mexico, River yeah. in Mexico. It runs underground for nearly six kilometers, carving an intricate tunnel system, um, near Guerrero, Mexico with the high lumen headlamps. Now I've only found one group that's done this. Oh yeah. I am surprised no one else has done this. That, that, and advertised that, that's. You've seen pictures? Yeah, oh yeah. There's yeah. a video. Well, I'm going to actually, uh, there's a little quick little video of, of them in there. Okay. Um, Jared Meehan. Andrew Pollock and Rafa Ortiz, which we've heard his name a billion times, navigated a a three-kilometer stretch of this river. And there's a video of their run from the river routes, which makes us think that rushing into the dark rapids of subterranean rivers may be the greatest thrill factor. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you see these guys regular going through canyons and around these, you know, all of a sudden the, the rapids take a complete, right hand turn oh. so you sort of slam into the side of the wall and because <laughs> i mean you're sort of doing the tokyo drift yeah hit the side of the wall and then boom shoot out wow the new direction sort of thing so that, that's yeah that's not for everybody no and i'll say this right now any of the there's a couple here that that are not guided and stuff like that you have the options to do yourself if you're not experienced don't yes. we are we are not saying go do this Exactly. Uh, go take the guided trips. Be responsible. Yeah, this this one in Mexico. Yeah, unless unless you're at the caliber of Rafa Ortiz, then you have no business in this one. Uh, this is just for you know, like I said, we'll we'll post a video and, and whatnot. 
number four, St. Leonard, Switzerland. Sitting 50 meters below the surface, St. Leonard is the largest underground lake in Europe. Huh. And I'm sure they pronounce it with some sort of accent too. Leonard or something. Said Leonard. Yeah. Uh, which creates a very special seas, seas setting for the bat race, B-A-T race. Competitors on inflatable stand-up paddle boards race through near darkness around a cave that's 250 meters long, but only 10 to 20 meters wide. So it's part of this race that they have. There's there's parts up above on the surface, like uh, on regular lakes, yeah. under the nice blue sky. <laughs> and then this is one, this one they have uh, underground. Format sees paddlers racing through the subterranean darkness with open men's and women's competitions being complemented by a kids race and fun tandem tournament. The whole event is part race, part novelty with the location offering a real bucket list experience for the lucky few dozen paddlers that get the chance to compete. Sounds very unique. It is like, so, so here, here's, you're in a cave. It's like, Hey, you know what? We should start a race series. It's like, you people are crazy. Well, they're doing (laughs) it up there. You might as well bring them down here. Right. So that's kind of cool. Uh, getting a little closer to, to home, uh, one, two, three, four, number five. I should actually put numbers next to these. <laughs> Crystal City Sand Mine in Missouri. The Crystal City Underground is in the south side of St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis? St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis, Missouri. As decommissioned long ago, now it stands as a tourist attraction offering guided tours through the underground tunnels and even kayak tours on the huge underground lake. Deeper into tunnels, however, things get narrow, and that's where stand-up paddler Daryl Kirk had the perfect craft for the job. He took his stand-up paddleboard all the way down. Um, what is it? It's 400 feet underground wow. in total darkness. That could be quite creepy, eh? Yeah. Lit by nothing but a torch, he and a couple of friends had to lay totally flat on their boards to fit through some of the oh, tiny sections. Wow. <laughs> That's like, yeah, if you're claustrophobic, yeah, yeah, you might as well turn this off now. Um, below them, crystal clear water from an underground spring. Above them, the solid walls of mostly silica, where back in the 60s, some of the world's finest glass was sourced. It's a claustrophobic nightmare. Yeah. But if you're cool in tight places, an adventure of a lifetime. Again, if you are not experienced doing this... Don't do it on your own. Do not. Do not go do this. You become um, a permanent fixture of the uh, of the tour. Yeah. Uh, and they actually finished the article saying, now before you go diving into an underground mine with your stand-up paddleboard, remember this is dangerous stuff. People go missing, drown, get trapped, or simply lost in mines all the time. It looks like this adventure was accompanied by a guide... So do some research to find someone with a local knowledge before you go. Free diving community are huge fans of underground waterways. So perhaps start there to find your next amazing stand-up paddling experience. So yeah, if you know the, if you can't find a guide, then maybe check Mm -hmm. the free diving communities and they'll be able to help you out. Uh, Puerto Princesa underground river in Sabang, Philippines is the last one. The underground river can be found in Palawan Island off the Philippines. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and in 2011 was added as one of the seven natural wonders of the world. So it's 
really worth your time to go see it, apparently. Only visit visitors, blah, 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 only visitors, I'm having issues here tonight. I know, I see that. With valid permits are allowed to enter. And there are two ways to get your permit. First is to join an organized tour where they handle all permits, transportation to and from. Uh, and this is probably the easiest way and best way if you don't want the hassle of handling getting permits and booking transportation yourself. And bringing your own kayak and all that sort of stuff. Most of the tours leave from Puerto Princesa with, uh, and cost more because they include the cost of return transportation. And it's about 80 kilometers. It takes one and a half to two hours of travel time. If you stay in Sabang, then the tour prices are lower because they don't need to include transportation costs. Tours enter the underground river in kayaks. Now, there's this little spot about some someone was given a little spiel about their their trip. Their so tour. it's a little trip log. Yeah. And so we head towards the cave entrance. The smell of guano or bat poop hits us in the face. If you need to puke, now's the time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a that's a big thing I'm looking forward to on a tour. Yes. <laughs> All right. Chances of puking. <laughs> As we went further into the cave, it gradually got darker until it got pitch black. We could see millions of bats, which make the caves their home. As we were warned in the audio narration, we had to keep our mouths shut as we looked up or risk, risk getting a mouthful of bat guano. Besides bats, swiftlets also make these caves their home. There are a couple large caverns with ceilings as high as 60 meters above us. The sight of giant stalactites and stalagmites is quite impressive. Finally, we come out of the underground river back through the same opening we had entered. Kind of cool. It sounds really cool. Don't want to get pooped on by a bat, but or, hey. Or, yeah, I don't want a bat poop in my mouth. That's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> How's your trip? Oh, it was great, you know, but the wife didn't like it. She ended up eating bat poop. <laughs> last tour she takes with you uh tour lasts about 45 minutes covers two kilometers or more of caves the underground river itself is thought to be 24 kilometers long and only eight kilometers of it has been explored that's pretty incredible that's a how do they know it's 24 kilometers if they've not explored more than eight they're guessing yeah Absolutely. Maybe 25 for all they know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so those are six places. Um, underground paddling. Underground paddling. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Three hours underground and bled Slovenia. That'd be cool. <laughs> but do you want to do the three hours underground or do you want to see the big stalagmites and stalactites and stuff like that? I want it all. But there's one, like I say, just in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. There's that one down there. 400 feet underground. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of gives you the willies. It's like, oh. Could you imagine <laughs> seeing somebody walking into a, a mine with a stand-up paddle? Where are you going? <laughs> what is that man <laughs> what, doing? What's that guy doing? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's definitely something. So, um, and that... That caps off our week. That's it. That's all I got. You got anything else? I do not. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I started it off with astronomical stuff. 
<laughs> we started at the space station. We went to the aircraft. Yeah. We went to the canoes, and then we went four hundred four hundred feet underground. Sub, sub subterranean. Wow, look at that. That wasn't even planned either. <laughs> it just worked that way. Wow. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. We have gotten so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> We, we just do this so well, we don't even know we're doing it. <laughs> From outer space to underground. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's, I hope you've all enjoyed your journey this week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at, the, at Sean and Derek's planetarium. Yes. <laughs> Next week, we're going deeper into the cell system of the human body. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about Guardia and Beaver oh, Fever. It's going to be like the magic school bus with like, <laughs> but with canoes. <laughs> uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio and stream or download each of the 253 episodes as well. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and loved ones. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>